Welcome to Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. This archive edition of Radio Curious was originally recorded and broadcast in January 1992 when Radio Curious was called Government Politics and Ideas. Our guest is Pete Seeger, a folk musician and a very special person in the lives of many people around the world. He brings songs of hope peace, justice, and equality wherever he goes with his five-string banjo, six-string guitar, and twelve-string guitar. He was an inspiration to me when I first learned to play the five-string banjo and took lessons from him in what seems long ago and, at the same time, just yesterday. Our conversation with Pete Seeger began when I asked him, what he meant when he said, the world is in a state of uncertainty. Pete Seeger has been a very special person in the lives of many people around the world. He brings songs of hope, peace, justice, and equality wherever he goes. I take great pleasure in welcoming Pete Seeger. Hi, Barry. Over long-distance telephone. Uh, You've mentioned, uh, when we spoke a little while before our program, that you see our world at a crossroads, uh, sort of an age of uncertainty. Could you elaborate on that for us, please? Well, I guess is around the world there are people firmly certain that they knew uh, how to interpret the invented world and what things were going to happen, and whether they were religious people or conservative people or radical uh, depending on how you define those terms, maybe all three, uh, why right now they're a little uncertain. I know I'm uh, looking forward to trying to check with other people what to make of the next few years. Uh, uh, the uh, collapse of the Soviet system and the uh, communist system they call it communist system hanging on in China. I'm a very big fan of the uh, Cuban uh, people, and uh, I think uh, they ought to be allowed to make their own mistakes and not be invaded by us or anybody else. I'd like to see trade established. I think it'd be good for them and good for us. But that's all p politics. I've made a living as a musician, and lots of times people say, what's political about this? And I say, well, I hope you'll pat your feet. Well, there's certainly a blend between music and politics. I know that you've sung about um, many different aspects of that. Uh, how do you see the blend? In a largest sense, I think everything is politics. Even somebody who says, I never vote, I have nothing to do with politics, that's a very political statement and somebody who came into com your community and tried to persuade people not to vote uh, would be uh, doing something very political. Uh, in a sense, every time you're affecting the body politic, 
whether it's you're having a gang of people watching a football game or a lot of other people watching a comedy on television, you're in a sense in politics in some kind of oblique way, even though you're not talking about voting. So uh, I don't draw a sharp line between one thing and another. It's, it's a convenient journalistic thing to say this is sports and this is art and this is politics and this is finance. But face it, in real life, these things are all tangled up. I know that um, you have a message on your banjo that uh, maybe you could tell us about what it says and why you chose to put it there, the story behind it. Well, Woody Guthrie went through World War II with a sign on his guitar, This Machine Kills Fascists. And he really wanted his guitar to be part of the worldwide struggle to defeat uh, militarism in Japan, Germany, and Italy, uh, which had taken over those countries. I guess you know that the first people that a fascist conquers are the people of his own country. And uh, Mussolini conquered Italy and then went on to try and take over Ethiopia and so on. And Hitler conquered Germany and Tojo and his gang conquered Japan. My father-in-law was Japanese, and he knew people who were killed by the Japanese fascists. What was your role? Uh, what were you doing during that period of time? I was drafted, and I served three and a half years. Can't say I did any fighting. I was first trained to be an uh, aircraft mechanic, and then later on I was in the special service and played the banjo in the rest of the war. I was in charge of hospital entertainment on the little island of Saipan in the Western Pacific. Well, songs make up and mold social comment and social and political change. Uh, what kind of role did you see the music that you brought to the little hospital um, have in, in the social or the political or the healing change during that time? can't say it very much except to uh, give a little distraction and hope, perhaps, to some of the guys who are in bandages. I remember playing the banjo once, playing an old hoedown, and seeing a fellow's toes wiggle out from under. It was the only part of his body I could see. The rest of his body was all wrapped up in bandages. But I, his, his toe was out, and I could see his toe uh, wiggling in rhythm to my banjo. <laughs> Let's step back about a hundred years um, before you were playing your banjo in Saipan and uh, talk about uh, the beginnings of the integration movement and the beginning of the abolition movement. But first, I want to play a little cut from uh, a song we all know well, Follow the Drinking Gourd. Well, the river bank will make a mighty good road. The dead trees will show you the way. Left foot, big foot, traveling on. Pete, the songs of social change and the integration movement uh, in the United States uh, made an, an important, played an important role, and you played an important role in that. Uh, I'd like to know what your thoughts are now that it's uh, well on its way with a long way to go. Too long a story to tell in a few words, uh, except to say that I feel I'm simply one in a long chain. 
I learned from people like Woody Guthrie and, or him, Joe Hill. My father was a musicologist and in the depths of depression, trying to figure ways which music, music could uh, help the American people pull themselves together. And uh, I've never been a theoretician so much as my father was. Uh, I've simply passed on some of the things I learned from him. Namely that music, like any other art, is not something unto itself, but serves to uh, achieve larger ends, uh, individually and uh, in society. And uh, so when I sing somewhere, whether it's a school for small kids or in an old folks home or wherever, I'm uh, trying to sing songs that will somehow help them uh, understand the world and get ahead. Maybe um, I could ask you to talk for a moment about uh, the civil rights struggle in the 60s, uh, or actually beginning in 1956 with uh, the song, If You Miss Me from the Back of the Bus, and your role in working in the South and uh, your role in creating the idea that we shall overcome. I went down south way back in the 40s and 50s uh, and was scratching my head like a lot of other people, white and black thing, what can be done to uh, end this screwy system of segregation, Jim Crow they used to call it. And uh, I learned songs that had been made up years ago by black people uh, I Follow the Drinking Gourd was one of them. And I'd learned songs made up by white people about the situation. Long come the 1950s, I, I was, uh, I guess, the first person who ever sang the song We Shall Overcome to Martin Luther King, 1957. And a friend of mine drove him to a, a, cons a uh, speaking engagement the next night. She remembers him sitting in the back seat of the car saying, we shall overcome. That song really sticks, it doesn't it. He wasn't a song leader, though. The song didn't catch on then. It was three years later when a guy, Carowan, who learned the song from me, brought it to about 70 young people. And they said, oh, guy, you've got a great song, but you don't have the rhythm right. He says, well, that's how I learned it from Pete Seeger. He says, well, We'll show you how the rhythm should be. And they gave it the Motown beat. And that's the way the song spread. And then uh, the songs were made up on the spot. Uh, if you miss me from the back of the bus, or if you miss me from the cotton field, you'll find me at the voting booth. And uh, the people were making songs to create uh, and foment political and social change of the time. You might consider this, while all around the world, people make up songs. There's an especially strong tradition in Africa of improvising new words or new variations uh, musically on old songs. Whether it's a hymn or a blues or whatever it is, you'll find African-Americans carrying on an ancient tradition of improvising. I'm not the only person who's noted this. Uh, Wyatt T. Walker's written several very good books and uh, the song We Shall Overcome is the result of 
many different people improvising over year over the years. The original of the song was uh, a rather wordy hymn written by Reverend Tindley, a black preacher in Philadelphia in 1903. I'll overcome someday. I'll overcome someday. If in my heart I do not yield, I'll overcome someday. Well, who knows who changed it? Nobody knows, but but uh, over 45, 40 years or so, I got changed. And now it's a worldwide song. Uh, in a way, I'm glad to see it's still changing a little bit. People keep adding new verses. I was in, where the heck was I in? In uh, Madison, Wisconsin a while back, and there were four young black women who sang in a quartet in church, and they'd made up what amounted, sounded to me like a rap version of We Shall Overcome. We Shall Overcome, We Shall Overcome. Today, today, they said. <laughs> in the, um, the folk process and the evolution of music, um, it seems that in an article in Crossroads magazine, you're quoted as saying that you like to use the word folk music as little as possible. Uh, could you tell us why and some of the background on, on that decision? Well, there's a tendency in journalism to oversimplify things. And uh, it's good to strive for simplicity, but it's even better to learn to mistrust it. And the word folk music, like many other journalistic words, has gotten uh, so uh, changed that it's almost unusable hundred years ago, of course, it meant the music of the peasant class, ancient and anonymous. Then along came the Lomax family and collected cowboy songs and lumberjack songs and said, these are folk songs too. Then along comes Woody Guthrie and they tell him, hey, you're a folk singer. <laughs> and they tell me I'm a folk singer and I was stupid enough to take their word for it. Uh, and uh, so now anybody with a guitar is a folk singer. What I'm sorry about is that uh, if you're not on stage with a microphone in front of you, they think you're not a real folk singer. If you're some grandparent simply singing an old song for your grandchild, rocking them to sleep, you're not a folk singer because you're not on stage with a microphone in front of you. Well, this is for the birds, but uh, I think the best thing you can do about it is laugh about it and use the word folk music as little as possible. You're listening to an archive edition of Radio Curious, recorded in January 1992, with folk singing banjo player Pete Seeger. Truly a special person in the lives of many, and a very special person in my life. I'm Barry Vogel. Pete, in terms of making up songs that comment on social issues, let's talk for a moment about uh, the struggle for equal rights for women. Uh, what is equal? What are women? What is struggle? <laughs> I guess that uh, uh, provides a lot of questions that could be answered in many different ways. Yeah, we only got a half an hour. In fact, we only got 15, 20 minutes left. Um, this is true. Um, we'll say right off about, like a lot of men, I got a big education in the 1970s. And uh, I was fortunate to have a family that uh, kept after me until I showed I was learning something. 
perhaps we could um wife sisters my younger sister peggy you know wrote the song i'm gonna be an engineer i've sung it all over the place perhaps we could move along to anti-war songs um there's a uh, wonderful one i come it's come and stand at every door I come and stand at every door But none can hear my silent tread I knock and yet remain unseen For I am dead, for I am dead Although I died in Hiroshima long ago I'm seven now as I was then When children die, they do not grow What role do songs uh, uh, against war play in, in raising the people's consciousness about war and the, the problems of war? Well, for thousands of years, songs have been used to uh, uh, get men to go to war. And my guess is from time to time, people, perhaps often women, have had songs yearning for peace. And sometimes they've even had effect. I was tremendously impressed, very frankly, at the uh, use of songs, not only during the Vietnam War here, but uh, used to that in France. They had songs against uh, the French war in Algeria. Uh, and I'd been singing peace songs from many years, but uh, in the Vietnam War, we really uh, saw them take effect. Uh, and some of the songs were so simple, ridiculous. Uh, the little song I sang before a million people in Washington, D.C. in November 1969, I just repeated it over and over and over for about eight minutes. All we are saying is give a chance. We had that whole quarter of a million people singing that over and over. I'd shout out between the lines, are you listening, Nixon? Oh, we are saying, you better listen, Agnew, is give peace a chance. Like a gigantic ballet, Peter, Paul, and Mary jumped on stage to sing with me and brother Kirkpatrick, and then on the other side of us, uh, Mitch Miller, stood up and uh, started waving his arms and getting everybody singing in time. It was great. Well, songs of political change uh, often instill fear in people. And uh, I know that about 35 years ago, you were a victim of political fear when you were cited by the House of Representatives for contempt of Congress in, in 1956. Um, I know that uh, after 
the trial or actually during the trial, you wanted to sing one of those songs uh, to the judge. Could you comment on that in retrospect? And then I do want to play the song for our listeners. Well, it's a good song, and I asked the judge if I could sing it. He says, you may not. Bang went his gavel. He said, bailiff, take him away. And they took me down to a jail cell. I only stayed there four hours, though, and my lawyer got bail for me. And a year later, the appeals court acquitted me. It was a silly committee. Glad it's, it's no longer a part of Congress. The House Committee on Un-American Activities. Uh, I guess Americanism, like art, is in the eye of the beholder. Let's uh, hear Wasn't That a Time. Our fathers bled at Valley Forge The snow was red with blood Their faith was warm At Valley Forge Their faith was brotherhood Wasn't that a time Wasn't that a time A time to thrive The soul of man Wasn't that a terrible understand that on your banjo now you have um, uh, a sign or, or the words, uh, this machine surrounds hate and forces it to surrender. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, it is a little different from what Woody had on his guitar 50 years ago. Uh, I put the thing on my banjo when he went in the hospital, and I really believe that... Uh, what we've got to do is persuade the human race that we've got to settle our arguments peaceably. Uh, it's not going to be easy. It certainly isn't easy. Uh, who knows what, what the future is going to be. Let's, uh, let's keep our sense of humor and, and argue about it. Right now, uh, with the tremendous dangers in the world that will wipe ourselves off the map by some foolish technology, 
uh, some foolish militarism. Uh, I'm all in favor of arguing, even though words are slippery things and mean different things to other different people. Uh, occasionally, I can see myself getting involved in something violent. I, I once sang for some students in a big southern university, Duke University. Uh, King had just been assassinated, and about a thousand white college students were sitting down demanding that Duke give more scholarships to black students, and the president, they said, should resign from his white-only country club, and he should bargain in good faith with the maintenance workers, most of them black. I said, you guys sitting out here in the courtyard, you thousand people are endangering your college careers. This is the first time this has ever happened at Duke. Congratulations. Why haven't I heard about it? Oh, they said, we, we uh, called up NBC and CBS, but they said they couldn't spare any cameraman to send anybody down. They said, oh, let us know if there's any violence. We'll send somebody down. Boy, I felt the blood rushing to my head. This is how our country is misgoverned. They're not going to cover a story unless there's violence. It was a great thing they were doing, but it was not going to be covered because no one was breaking any windows. Well, I picked up a big stone from the from the uh, gravel, and I still carry a stone in the banjo case. But I don't intend to throw a stone at a person. I've had stones thrown at me. It's no fun. But if I find out they're not going to cover a story simply because there's no violence, I might break a window someplace. I don't know. Pete, uh, I know that uh, you don't call yourself a folk singer, as you've told us, but uh, in Sing Out magazine, in volume four, number six, in uh, the May 1954 edition, Alan Lomax is called uh, Pete Seeger America's greatest folk singer. History will endorse this judgment. Oh, don't pay any attention to people like Lomax. <laughs> Pete Seeger, thank you very much. My life flows on in endless song Above Earth's lamentation I hear the real though far off hymn That hails a new creation Pete Seeger is a well-known and well-loved folk musician, a player of the five-string banjo, six- and twelve-string guitar, and the writer of many songs. Copies of this and other editions of Radio Curious can be found on our website, www.radiocurious.org. They're also available in CD format for $10 each. At Radio Curious, we appreciate your thoughts and ideas about our programming and enjoy hearing from you. Our address is Post Office Box 7, Ukiah, that's U-K-I-A-H, California, 95482. Our email address is curious at radiocurious.org. You've been listening to the archives of Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.